0: Let's uh, continue worship with a reading from excerpts of John, chapters 1, 3, 8, and 12, and 1 John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And Jesus spoke to them again, saying... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And lastly, 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Welcome to church, y'all. Glad you're with us this morning to sing Christmas hymns. My name's Chris. I've not met you. I'd love to meet you. Um, Welcome, uh, in person or online. I was made aware this week of a family that moved um, to the DR, Dominican Republic, a while ago, and through a series of events has been gathering a group of people and watching the live stream from the DR. So, peoples, howdy if you're watching today in the group with you. So glad that you guys are being encouraged by what's going on here. Uh, It's awesome. Today is the uh, second week of Advent, y'all. The last week, uh, we said that Advent is... uh, a historical season in the church leading up to Christmas. And the point of Advent is to keep our hearts rooted in the why behind the what, uh, which we said can be quite challenging, actually, with all the trappings that have accumulated around the Christmas season. Uh, so much, y'all, of the Christmas kind of cultural customs that we all um, you know, endure or enjoy, depending on you know, where you're at, so much of those things can serve as this kind of strong undertow of hurried kind of triviality and sometimes only ends up pulling our hearts and minds away from the whole thing it's supposed to remind us of. You guys ever notice that? It's almost like it's like a birthday for your kid. You're throwing a birthday for your kid. And all the details and decorations and guests and food are stressing you out so much, you end up ignoring or worse, yelling at your kid. Because you're going to make this perfect, you know? You know, anyone? No? You're going to make this thing wonderful for everybody, right? And for so many of us, I mean, that's kind of close to Christmas. Like, we're running around, we're doing the expected things, and completely are missing the reality behind what all these things are supposed to be pointing us to. Like, we're celebrating the Prince of Peace, but I'm about to lose it, you know? (laughs) And, um, Utterly exhausted. No one else, just me. Okay. So, so often what I need, y'all, in a season like we find ourselves in today is someone to kind of slap me out of my hurried frenzy and slow me down for a second to reflect and ponder and fix my own heart on something deeper on the deeper meaning of the whole thing, you know, that there's something deeper going on in this season, or at least there can be for you than just lights and feasts and Christmas parties. I love all those things. I'm going to enjoy those things, right? But all those things can serve as a prolonged exercise in missing the point and often do. So we celebrate Advent to slow down. We light candles Advent, the word, simply means arrival or appearance, right? We're trying to focus on our hearts on the arrival of something. Of what? What has arrived, right? What does it mean? Last week we said, well, the thing that's arrived in the image that's literally dripping off every page of the Bible almost is is this image we pulled out in Isaiah 9 last week. That that really popular scripture for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You know, that's what's come in the image that Isaiah 9 brings to our imagination is a light Dawning like the sun on a people dwelling in deep darkness. And last week we said, if we don't perceive the darkness as a reality that the Bible perceives it as, then you will not want the light when it comes. Hmm? You can say it this way if you don't understand the nature of the darkness that we swim in, right? You will not value or desire the nature of the light that's coming. It's like a fish. You know, like a, tell a fish that he's swimming in water. He's like, what are you talking about? What's water? Because he's just always known it. And for many of us, that's, that's darkness for us. We've just always known it. And so when you try to tell someone, yeah, but, but things aren't as they ought to be, they say, what are you talking about? Things are fine, dude, right? And, and, and it's, this is the reason, y'all, that we are gonna sit in total darkness at our candlelight service. That's the whole point, is to remind us of this thing, right? It's why the candles down here are purple. That represents darkness. And the pink one is like the dawn in the morning before the sun rises. All of this, y'all, all all of the season of Advent is not just about light, it's about darkness. It's about sitting with what the darkness has done to us, what it continues to do to us. And if we miss that, then when the light comes, we'll say, who cares? What does it even mean? We'll misunderstand it, or worse, as they did in Jesus' day, snuff it out. Say, what was that? (laughs) Who who turned that on, right? During Advent, y'all, it's the darkest time of year, winter solstice, and we remember in the darkest time of year, that there is another type of darkness in the world, not just a physical darkness. That helps us understand it. But what we're acknowledging is that there is such a thing as spiritual, emotional, intellectual darkness. That's a reality. And if you look around, and if you don't see something wrong with the world, if you don't see relational turmoil and strife and anger and frustration and despondency around you, and even in your own heart, then you are under a spell. The modern era has convinced you to whitewash the world. And you've adjusted to the darkness. You've learned to survive in it, and you've probably learned to use it to your own advantage. And of course, all of us have at some level, right? And this is the bulk of what I wanted to sit with as we approach Christmas morning. And as we sit in darkness for the candlelight service and as we light the Christ candle, right? Christmas means the light has come. And it's supposed to be good news of great joy. But today, what I want to pick up with is exactly where we left off last week, is is that good news to you? And the question that we have to wrestle with today is how do we respond to the light? So let's be real, right? All of us, at one point or another, have used darkness to hide what we are doing. What's, what do I mean by that? Well, you didn't lie. You're a Christian, right? You just left a few things out. right? You just, you just left out a few incriminating details, right? It's not lying. you're just omitting and that's using darkness, y'all. right? That's relying on darkness. In reality, all of us have, one point or another have done this, right? And, and, and this comes in many packages. Let's just think about it. When you justify cruelty and exploitation as just doing business, you know that one? It's not personal. It's just business. What are you saying? What are you saying? You are saying that business is Necessitates darkness. That's what you're saying. You are saying cruelty and exploitation and deceit are necessary tools to survive. That's what that phrase means, y'all. Or we label things like lust and selfishness as self care. You've just called it something else. It's still darkness, right? That's living in darkness. Cruelty, rage, violence, selfishness, that's living in darkness, y'all. That's relying on the darkness. But so often, it's not the sins that we are aware of that show us our preference for darkness. It is very often the sins we are not aware of that show us this thing. It's in the places that sin has become totally normal that we don't think twice about it. Or you could say it this way. It's when our entrenched understanding of how the world works, that's business as usual, requires deception, lust, anger, frustration, greed, to survive. That's when we have begun to be the kinds of people who dwell in darkness, when those things are how you get stuff done. How are you gonna live a happy life, y'all? What's the good life? What's the good life? What's the blessed life? How are you gonna live a happy life? Well, I got a lust. Lust. I have to show people that they have enraged me and they've done injustice against me by becoming a wrathful, angry person. That's how you, that's living in darkness. That's relying on darkness to survive. It's clear, y'all, that all of us at one level or another have learned to dwell in darkness, and so we have. You are a creature made for light, but we can and often do settle for darkness. What happens when creatures made for light Dwell in darkness. What happens? You ever watch Planet Earth? Seen Planet Earth? Or like Blue Planet? Amazing. Like Acts of Worship. Love those things. Have you ever seen in those series those creatures that are, you know, sun-dwelling, land-dwelling creatures that have learned and adapted to survive in caves? They're like translucent. It's like a little lizard. It's like you've on the ground it's like a lizard, but it does not have eyes. And, it's, and you can see through its skin and it's like, eats like fungus or something like that you seen these things? Or the fish that like uh, have learned to dwell in the abyss and you can like see all their insides and their, you know what I mean? Like remarkable when creatures moved to darkness and begin to adapt to dwell in it. And we see it all like their eyes like grow large, right? And their appetites turn to insects and creepy collars and fish that are raw and wriggling. Anyone? And forget the taste of bread, yeah? Is it possible that humanity as we know it today is a bent over, shadowy specter of a being compared to what he or she was created to be? Is it possible? (laughs) Amen. Like, not physically, right? Not physically, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Is it possible the entire lot has amnesia of sorts and can't remember their intended glory. According to the Bible, we were meant, me and you, this is, boggles my mind when I, when I sit with this, me and you were meant to be the crown jewel of creation and rule and reign for God with his own supernatural strength and life in our bones. Yeah, and, and what do we find though? Today, our, we're short-sighted, bickering, Selfish, we've turned inward, backbiting, right? Given everything from God and yet biting and clinging things to our chest saying, like, Mine, mine, right? You know, get away, right? In, in The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis comments on the glory that humanity was created for, and he says this I'm going to read to you. We must remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else, a horror and a corruption, such as you meet now, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life to ours is as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting (coughs) splendors. See, Lewis is riffing off this idea that you have been made for glory. And that same agency that makes glory possible in each of us also makes the opposite possible, right? We were creatures made for light, but can choose the darkness. And this is what he's really getting at. Those choices begin to change us even now into creatures either who love the light or are repulsed by the light. See, according to the scriptures we read earlier, when the true light comes, it creates a problem. You might not have kind of got that from just a, a surface-level reading, but it is. Every one of the scriptures we read, there is a problem. The light comes to heal, yes, To guide, yes, but all those properties of enjoying light are dependent on how you respond to it. See, and we aren't really being intellectually honest if we just imagine everyone loves the light. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. In in that beautiful poetic intro in John 1 that we read, he says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's that's what it says. Now, your Bible might say uh, comprehend it, in which my opinion is a better translation of the Greek word katalambano, katalambano. That's the Greek word. The same word is also translated uh, multiple times in the New Testament as understand or perceive or attain or seize or apprehend, take hold of. The woman caught in adultery was katalambanoed, was caught. Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, Paul prays that we would katalambano the height and depth, depth and love of God. You see, that word means you didn't grasp it. You didn't take hold of it. You didn't appropriate the light to your life. That's what it means. You didn't take hold of it. You didn't take it in, you know? All the scriptures we read in one place or another introduces a choice. It introduces the light, and then it introduces a choice. In John 1, it says, he came to his own, but his own did not, what? Receive him. Huh? But to everyone who did, they became, true. that's a choice. Do you see that? John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I am the light. Here is your choice. 1 John says, God is light. And if we choose the darkness, but say we're Christians, we're a liar. Because in him, there's no darkness at all. See, each one of those is saying there is an inherent choice in the advent of light. And when the true light confronts you, you are confronted with the fork in the road. The choice is yours, whether you want to or not, whether you like to or not. When the light comes, it confronts you with the decision. Will you be the kind of person who embraces the light, or will you run from it, or worse, snuff it out? and we see every example of that in Scripture. You ever notice in the New Testament how different people have such contrasting and dramatic responses to Jesus? You ever notice this? Some people literally push others out of the way, scream and yell and break through roofs to get close to Jesus. Some people endure social ridicule. People, shut up, shut up, quit talking. Shouting out, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, right? Just to get close to the light. I mean, it's like a frantic desperation to get close to this thing, right? Jesus rolls in a town, to heals someone. Some people leave everything they own to follow this man, and others try to take Jesus to a cliff to throw him off. What on earth is happening? This is bizarre right? You know, I mean, I've never had a sermon where at the end of it, people have tried to throw me off a cliff. I'm, I'm just, am I doing it wrong? No. It's saying something about what who, the claims Jesus is making for himself. He was not a good moral teacher, y'all. He was claiming he was the son of God. And some people were drawn to that. They like, couldn't help but be drawn to it. And other people said, you will die. For talking like that. You it was John 7? Yeah, John 7 makes it clear, it was common knowledge that the leaders wanted to kill Jesus. Like everyone knew. Everyone knew they were just waiting to try to kill him, right? Some people see him and because of their relationship with darkness, cry out, get away from me. That is bizarre. That this one man, same man, evokes All of these contrasting and dramatic, multiple attempts are made on Jesus's life during his ministry, right? People try to throw him off a cliff. He just sneaks through the crowd over and over and over again. When Jesus is born, shepherds come to worship him. Wise men bring him gifts. Herod kills every baby boy in Bethlehem to kill him. which scholars tell us uh, the population of Bethlehem at the time would have been about a dozen to a couple dozen baby boys, right? Unthinkable atrocities to kill the light. Why, man? <laughs> because if Christmas is true and Jesus came in the flesh, we aren't just talking about turning the lights on in the house. We're talking about handing over the deed of the house. Hmm? If Christmas is true, see, Herod was king and there is only room for one king, Right? Any other king was a threat to his authority and so true it is in your heart and in your life. You got one throne. You got one throne on that heart. There's only room for one. And when Jesus comes with his claim that he is divine, wrapped in flesh, God, creator himself in flesh, there is an authority issue. That if we don't deal with, what we will naturally be tending to do is is kill the one who's threatening our authority, just like Herod. We like to demonize him, but in reality, each of us at different parts of our lives sidestep the authority of Jesus and say, I will work on my own authority. I will sit on the the throne of my heart. And it's just what we see happening in the Christmas story, right? If we don't understand that to enter the light is to give up authority of our life, then we have misunderstood the nature of the light. That's why we read 1 John uh, 1. It says, when, you know, if we say we have fellowship with him, we yet walk in the darkness for liars. But for us, y'all, the choices of walking in the light are not aren't as clear as Herod's. Like, wouldn't that be nice? If I could just say this morning, hey, who likes light? Hey, everyone likes light, right? Awesome, done. But that's not the nature of the choice, <laughs> It is not a declaration, it's not simply a declaration. The real choice, right, uh, that shows us whether or not you love or hate the light will reveal itself in subtle, small, seemingly insignificant, unspiritual decisions that you make on a momentary basis in the context of your life. That's where we find out if we like the light or not. Not on a Sunday morning everyone likes the light, amen, right? That's not where we find out whether or not we like the light. We find out whether or not we like the light in the small, seemingly unspiritual decisions that you are making, especially when no one's looking. So whether you're at home with babies or you're working in the office or on the job site, will you choose impatience, anger? Will you skirt the truth? Will you cut corners? Will you mislead and take the lazy path? and avoid the real work to make something truly excellent? Will you avoid the real issue and instead use passive-aggressive communication? I'm on a personal mission to destroy passive-aggressive communication. (laughs) That's choosing darkness. It's saying something but being too much of a coward to actually say it. (laughs) (laughs) That's walking in darkness, y'all. It's walking in darkness. Conversely, And the bizarre thing, the reason people had such uh, repulsions to Jesus is because they had made commitments and agreements with that darkness. In fact, what had really happened in the subterranean of their lives is that they had become dependent on the darkness. And that's why they saw Jesus as a threat. That, that's why they took him to a cliff to, to throw him off because what they knew was happening, sometimes, and I'll tell you this right now, man. sometimes it's the people who have the most repulsive response to it that understand it the most because they understand that the light comes with claims and they are not willing to submit to those claims and then take actions into their own hands right? to get, to get out of the light. Conversely, when we choose truth, Transparency, integrity, submission to God's authority. We then, as John three says, when we do what is true, that's that's walking. That's coming to the light. That's walking. That's being honest about the darkness in your own ways and submitting to God's as better. Right? Christmas means y'all. The light has come, and it forces us to choose: Will we receive the light, or do we prefer? darkness and this choice only be realized in the sum of your actions, right? Seen on a daily and monotonous basis, things that we have categorized as unspiritual. That's often the places where we're going to see this. So Jesus had some very jarring things to say in his ministry. And what he is often doing is trying to help us see whether or not we have chosen the light or darkness, whether or not we've known it or not. So often the jarring statements of Jesus are to help us see for ourselves I've chosen the darkness. It helps us locate ourselves so often, right? And because we have, in so many places, adjusted to it, we need someone to help us realize the position we're in. Light is that way, y'all. We naturally begin to adjust to light in whatever available ambient light. So if if it was like blazing sunshine sunshine outside, when you walk from this room to outside, It would be uncomfortable. That's the nature of light. You get used to it, right? And then if you're like even in the sunlight, then someone gets you in the eyeball with one of them like high-powered lasers, you know, right? I mean, there's all these gradations of light. And so often what happens is we settle. We settle with just enough ambient light to make it in life, you know? Like, just enough to get by, not, bring, not stir up the pot too much. Like, we can get around. It's like we have a little, there's a lamp. It's distant, but it gives us enough light. So we have an, aver- we settle there, right? Instead of making the, embarking on a journey towards Jesus where it's brighter and brighter and brighter, because the problem with brighter and brighter and brighter light, you know, like when you think you've cleaned the house <laughs> and, and then the sun comes through a window like, I'll literally vacuum, like, five minutes, right? And then in the sun, and I'm like, it is disgusting in this house. Like, I'm, I'm, like, throwing up in my mouth by looking at all the junk on the ground, right? Now, I mean, it happens, like, I have kids, so it doesn't even matter if I clean my house at all. Like, five minutes is going to be trashed anyway. But amen, amen. But when the light comes in, when, when the brightness is turned up, all of a sudden all sorts of imperfections start coming out. Yeah, that's why we avoid the light, man. That's uncomfortable. No one wants the imperfections of their life revealed for all to see. No, thank you. Right? This is why we hide. This is why we settle for commute. We settle for a version of community that doesn't require us to turn the lights on. Hmm? We settle for relationships in which the roaches can stay and the dirt can stay, and there's just enough light for us to be pleasant and nice and okay. Thank you. But I'm going to go back to my darkness and do the things that I love doing. Don't we? Community, The community of God, Christians, as we step into those vulnerable relationships, should be like turning on the lights. Yeah, roaches are going to scatter, but do you really want to live amongst roaches? <laughs> All right. I mean, are we chatting? Let's get back to the note, shall we? Jesus seemed to surprise religious people. Because they were looking to things like church services and liturgies to prove that they were in the light. And Jesus seemed to think it has more to do with how you treat people, right? Like what you do with the one hour on a Sunday morning, very little to do with whether or not you walk in the light. Uh, let me give you a better barometer, how you talk to your kids. That's probably a better indicator of, of your, uh, how much you love the light. How you talk to your wife or your boss. <gasps> How you think about your boss. Probably a better indicator of whether or not you walk in the light than whether or not you're sitting in this pew on Sunday morning, right? More specifically, what Jesus pointed out. <laughs> well, you're glad you came to church today. What, what Jesus pointed out was how you treat people in society that, that your society has deemed less valuable. He pointed that out. Whole lot, right? What we have to understand is that every choice we make is turning, in, turning you into a kind of person. It's turning you into the kind of person who either loves or hates the light. And, it, and that transformation is happening all day long, right? It's happening right now as we listen to Scripture being read, right? And it's a classic example, but it helps us think about it. Let's just real quick, Right? you can put, you guys all know this, you've heard it before, you can put a frog in a pot of cold water. And if you turn the heat up slowly enough, it will not jump out. And in the end, will not resist being boiled alive. Right? And I would argue that darkness is like that. Darkness creeps in from the edges. And before we know it, we're surrounded by it and have accustomed our eyes to it and maybe even learned how to use it for our advantages, right? And when we do that, when we surrender to the darkness and refuse the light over and over and over, it changes how you respond when the true light comes. John 3 calls the light, what we read earlier, John 3, John chapter 3, calls the light a judgment. Did you catch that? He says, This is judgment that light has come into the world. Well, what can that mean? Well, it's obvious in what we've been talking about, right? I mean, we, we often, everyone, we think about light as a kind of a pure universal good, right? And this whole time, we've been talking about light that vanquishes the darkness, right? It heals, but h- how is light a judgment? Well, he tells us, he says, this is judgment, The light's come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works are evil, right? So the same light, life of men, right? Life meant to heal and, and, and guide and revive. Life meant to bring uh, direction to your path, joy to your bones. To some, it will do just that. To some, it will be like the warm sun on your skin after a dark, cold night. But to others, it burns and exposes. It's like Dracula, right? right? And we run from it, right? Which is why Charles, Charles Spurgeon said, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. He's getting at that one, that idea that they're the same thing, same source, same good intent. Did I get that right? Yeah, melts, wax, Harden Clay. The same source can affect people depending on how they've positioned themselves in drastically different ways, right? And really the question I've obviously been trying to help you answer the whole morning is, what kind of person are you? Right? We can affirm that light's better than dark all day long, but the question isn't, do you agree that light's better than dark? The question is, are you hiding parts of your life from others and from God? Are you using the darkness? Are there areas in your heart and life that God is simply not welcome? And remember, darkness doesn't just symbolize deceit and hiding. That's one expression of darkness. Spiritual darkness is all sin, whether you're hiding it or not, Some of you are not even hiding it, right? And when the light comes, do you welcome its revealing properties as well as its healing properties? Or do we try to separate the light out? You know what I'm talking about? Like, give me, the, give me the healing, give me the joy, but don't give me the revealing parts of it. Like, can I, can we? And you can't, you know? You can't know the joy of God's kingdom, you know, joy to the world, the Lord has come. <laughs> yeah, you can't know the joy of God's kingdom until you surrender to that lordship. It will be, it will befuddle you. There won't be joy, right? To love the light is to reject the darkness. We can't say We just want the peace of Jesus and the life of Jesus, but maintain control of our life. You can't. You can't separate those things out. That's not the arrangement in Christianity. That's the pretend version of Christianity. To receive his light is to receive his kingship as well. This is Christmas. (laughs) This is what it calls us to think about. This is what we're called to wonder at when we say joy to the world. The Lord has come we would be silly to think that at the sign of an authority figure, everyone would rejoice. The <laughs> king, right? Yeah, right? But to receive his light, to receive his king. So let me, let's just take our pulse, then we'll get out of here, okay? Number one, are you hiding? Are you hiding? Are you using the darkness as an ally to maintain some attitude or behavior? Or, Are you holding on to a right to be angry or unforgiving? Are you you depending on judging and looking down on others to feel strong and valuable, right? Because your response to the light will be dependent on your position to the darkness. Your response to the light will be dependent on your position to the darkness. And the picture I want to leave you with is actually uh, an image that stuck out to me from one of the sermons given this fall when I was out. Duck compared uh, all the prophets to people sitting in the darkness trying to light a fire with a flint. And I love it. I can, I can get there with my imagination. I can see them. I can see the darkness all around them, and then they strike it, and you can like see their face for a second, and then it's back to darkness, and they strike it again. And you can see their face, right? And to me, this is a perfect picture of all humanity's attempts to vanquish the darkness, No matter how progressive, no matter how technological, no matter how advanced our attempts are, they are short-lived sparks on the face of humanity, right? And they all seem to miss the real point because when Jesus came, he addressed the thing that we tend to ignore, the inner reality of your heart. Hmm? And that's what I'm calling you to attend to today as we ponder the coming of the light. His invitation is to love the light to be a person, to learn to love the light. And as painful as that process can be, it is painful. As difficult as walking towards that light may be, it is the only path that leads to life. There is no other. The pure gift of Christmas is the grace of his light. Is that good news to you? Now, you know, I know it's hard to believe that people like us could be people who prefer darkness. I mean, look at you. You're lovely. We look great. I think the worship leader took a shower, you know, today, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're lovely people, but we will not become people who worship the light of Christ if we choose to ignore the reality of our own darkness. In Advent, y'all, we remember that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1.13. We remember Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The last thing let me just leave you with today, you know, when Jesus came, he called me and you, if you're a Christian, he said of me and you, he said, you are a city on a hill. He said of me and you, you are the light of the world. There is something that is supposed to happen, something so revolutionary that is supposed to happen in our being that we are transformed from creatures who prefer darkness to to creatures who prefer, not only prefer, but spread the light. And only when we surrender to that light, only when we surrender to the the gift of his light. Can we stand a chance at being those kind of people? Let's stand and pray.